Hello and welcome to another episode of What We're Listening To, a show where we discuss stuff we're listening to and challenge each other to hear new things. I am Asher and with me as always is Josh, the inventor of Fibonacci sequence-based bread. Ugh. How are you doing? <laughs> um, <laughs> spiraling and squaring at the same time somehow. I feel like this is a Junji Ito crossover with like, <laughs> you know, um, tool kind of baking process. Anyway, oh um, it's been a while, but it's good to be here. And I just wanted to start off the show with a good quiz. And it is based upon something I gave Josh for homework, which is a famous album by Tool, which we'll (laughs) discuss in greater detail. But I thought I'd throw you a little fun uh, multi-choice curveball at the start. Okay. Um, As I was doing some research about this album, um, I wasn't looking at the maths. You'll be thankful for that. (laughs) I was looking at their use of interesting samples and there is a track called Mantra, which is track four on the album. It's just an instrumental little interlude. Um, There is a strange sound in this um, and I wanted you to choose which of these you think created the sound. Um, Is it A, a dude talking into a tube with some delay? Is it B, an old school synthesizer? Is it C, a Siamese cat being squeezed? Or is it D, a slowed down AM broadcast? Oh, man. I, I think another, because the one that sounds kind of like a, like a whale noise, I think another one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yep. Um, oh, man. I think I guess the tube, to be honest, a, a person talking into a tube. Okay, final answer? Yeah, I'll go with that. Now, this story is a little bit apocryphal, um, but apparently it's a thing. It's actually C. Apparently it's a Siamese cat it's being cat. squeezed. <laughs> oh my goodness. Look, the tool heads are actually going to probably give me hate mail for that. Never had got any yet, but um, I was reading on some forums that that's what you know, apparently it was, but who knows? Maybe the RSPCA intervened at that point. I'm not sure. Um, so, yes, there you go. A little bit of non-math-related trivia oh, concerning you. lateralis. Um, so usually at the top of the show we have follow-up. Well, for follow-up, yeah, I I realised um, I'm I left out a very important um, honourable mention off of my top five, which is the... The dual EP from Violent Soho, which is their potential last release ever with the, oh, the Kamikaze and Better right. Homes and Gardens. I've, um, I, I, okay. I mean, obviously I'm sad that they're not making music, but that piece of uh, of this dual song I've released is very, very good, I think. Um, yeah. And, and uh, the class action lawsuit against Ticketmaster is progressing in the United <laughs> States, which I think is uh good and kind of hilarious that it was taylor swift that managed to you know kind of <laughs> get this thing going um yeah. but yeah so that it's being investigated by the justice department of the united states as to whether or not um this like reselling practice of ticketing is you know illegal when you, these wow. tickets reach like fifteen thousand dollars and that kind of stuff so we'll see yeah. hopefully something good comes out of it I must admit, I haven't followed it since the hoo-ha, um, but <laughs> I'm glad that that's happening because yeah. it does. it's very prohibitive for oh, just man. getting to a gig. 
when your processing fees are like yeah. half the ticket cost. I, I've done a little research about the the company Ticketmaster and I learned mm. in the in the mid early nineties, um, the band Pearl Jam, uh, you know, kind of at that point kings of the of the rock music world tried mm. to have a North American tour without using a single Ticketmaster venue. And they found it okay. impossible, even back in the nineties. Um, what a single Ticketmaster venue? What does that mean? So, like trying to book venues without using the Ticketmaster system, right? Um, even back in the nineties, and they found it so difficult they couldn't do it, and even went to the American uh, Senate or House to give testimony about how damaging this company was for the music industry and nothing <laughs> happened of it back then. You know, if oh, Pearl man. Jam can't make something happen in the nineties, then there's no real hope. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes now, I guess. <laughs> and corporations, bro. It's oh, nuts, good fun. Isn't it? The, the, the joy of the music industry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Otherwise other, other catch up. Do you have any other catch up? No, I'm kind of, I'm kind of blank and I'm still, Still getting back in the swing of things, but I'm sure That's we'll fun. get there by the end of the show. Yeah, yeah. Should we head into our reviews? Okay, let's go for it. Oh, man, I'm so happy. So I, <laughs> at the end of last year, I went through like, what are some things that I've missed that maybe I shouldn't have? And I'm so happy that I did. So I um, reevaluated and re-listened to an album by a band called the Viagra Boys. Um who are a uh, quote-unquote dance punk band from Sweden. Um, oh, they're Swedish, are they? Yeah. And you can kind of, wow. I, I don't know, I can kind of hear a little bit of that because Sweden has a bit of a history of um, this kind of more upbeat uh, noise garage rocky kind of music with like the hives and the helicopters in like their history books where like you have these like heavy drum mm. and bass lines with like other stuff on top of it. Um, but the... The thing about the Viagra boys is that they're very, very cheeky. And I, I mean, it really appeals to me. It's the, like a prerequisite for like anything you listen to. It's is true. It cheeky. <laughs> these guys are like, these guys are the next level to some degree. It's kind of like, um, like the early days of Iggy Pop and the Stooges where like part of the draw of the band is like, what are these guys going to do? And what are they going to like yeah. make fun of this time? Um, like, the the line between like genius and insanity is like pretty thin right and these guys you know like like to play hopscotch back and forth over the line like just kind of like do whatever they want they um even gained a bit of notoriety on tiktok for a clip of a guy going to one of their shows and grating a whole block of cheese in the audience um (laughs) and like you know I think I've seen that. Yeah, like like it, it's been around and people are just like, you know, nobody really questioned it because it's happening at this, you know, Viagra Boys gig and somebody's just yeah. like, you know, block of cheddar. Here's a grater. Um, yeah. So uh, this uh, album of theirs, this third album of theirs called Cave World is, yeah, um, yeah it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of uh taking jabs at different things. Um, oh yeah. Like we have 
uh, songs like Creepy Crawlies or... That's quite a standout for me. I found um, that re- very, very yeah. funny. Return to Monkey, these kind of like... Uh, these kind yeah. of satirical, like reject society. Um, they're putting small, you know, aliens in the vaccines that are like infecting our children. The mm-hmm. the lyrics of Creepy Crawlies are like an assembly of different TV interviews that the singer saw on different news shows. The kind of like, right. yeah. you know, end of end of the world crazy anti vaxxer stuff. Um, yeah, but it's not just like taking shots at easy targets. So like the songs about like the punk rock culture and how stupid it can be with mm. like punk rock loser or I ain't no thief and that kind of stuff. Um, and like you dig through these lyrics, but the whole time it's just these heavy dance beats and yeah. like these guitars that are doing quite well, clever. Kind of. Yeah. And then it's still, what's... it's still kind of punky. It's not just like, when you say dance, sometimes people can think electronic, but it's still very rock and acoustic in some ways. Yeah, but it has that kind of like swagger to it. And then you have the sax player in the background who is just like yeah. just just belting, and that is so much fun. And like um, you watch clips of them play, and he's just red in the face the whole time, just going for it. I don't know. It, yeah, I watched yeah. that clip you sent me. The two songs they did in some amped like. Some office area. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then I watched like a live clip. I think they were on some talk show. Maybe it was Jimmy Fallon. I can't remember. Um, And, you know, he had his shirt off and just tapped everywhere. (laughs) And those like shiny sunglasses, which I think are back in style or something. And a mullet. And it was just kind of crazy. And you have to talk about the like punk rock loser video clip and the whole... (laughs) The whole like real tongue in cheek sort of cowboy aesthetic every now and then as well. Yeah, it's hard to pin down. Mm. Like it's not they're they're not stupid and it's not goofy, but it's definitely like, um, like it's 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 biting and it's um hilarious, but it's it's not like it's not approachable and it's not highbrow. It's like. It's very mm. open about like here's things that are stupid and we're gonna make fun of them and have like a good time doing it kind of thing. And I, mm. um, I'm real. I've been really enjoying like you, you, I could put on the album and the what's that song? The the first track comes on about like the weird baby man and it's baby like, criminal, I, baby criminal. I just like having mm. a great time the whole whole way through. So I yeah, I've been yeah. loving listening to this album over again. It's- yeah, I when you sent it to me early Jan, I listened to it all the way through. And it's just like, yeah, they just it, again, it's that kind of like taking stock on what's happening in the world around you. It's like yeah. very, very current sort of observations about. Uh, I think Big Boy's pretty funny as well. It's just <laughs> that um, ADD's very clever and uh, like it's just it's very. Very current in terms of the post-satire culture, you know, where, like, it's almost yeah. entirely hard to do satire anymore because everything's so bonkers out there anyway. So, you know, this is just pushing it as far as they can. And I, I found it quite amusing to watch. It's interesting how they reminded me a little bit of Chat Pile in their, like, rattiness. Um, mm. But they have the humour of idols and even further so it's it's interesting the different like kind of paths you can walk down like do you 
laugh in the face of like terrible things or do you, you know, like despair and, and, and like, you know, I suppose at times there's for both and that sort of thing, but it, they've just taken very much the humorous stance on everything. Yeah. I do, I have in the, in my head always with punk rock glues that are like, I'm really cool. You know, like <laughs> it's just so, it's so lame. It's so, and I, I don't like the word like cringy to watch that video clip of him in this like very like colorful cowboy outfit <laughs> walking around this, you know, we all, he old Western town with all these really tough, burly Swedish men. It's just very funny. <laughs> That's classic. Yeah. Anyway. I, I, yeah. I've, I've, I'm a, I'm a hundred percent on board and I, I need to go back and um, listen to their first two albums now. Cause this is, uh, I'm a, I'm a Viagra boys fan for life. I think at this point. Nice. This came out mid twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah. They have, they have two other nice. albums before them. That's cool. So that's what that's what I've been going through. Um, how about you, sweet? Uh, so on a very different um, kind of place, I've been working <laughs> through the back catalogue of a Philadelphian ambient musician named Andrew Tasselmeyer. So. Um, just a bit of background. Um, he is a part of a band called Hotel Neon and yeah. they are like a kind of droney. It's not really post-rock. It's more ambient drone stuff. Um, I actually stumbled upon them in 2015 and then didn't work out that Andrew was in that band when I started listening to his music in about 2018 with his Tynes release. And then I was like, Oh, oh, it's him and his brother and another person in Hotel Neon. So <laughs> together the Tassel Myers plus others. Yeah. So, but Andrew is quite a talented musician, um, is like a big fan of lots of different types of music and like a good bass player, guitarist kind of, as far as I know, I'm still, mm. still learning the kind of his background, but I've been focusing upon his more new releases, specifically his album Music for Non-Existent Films. Um, now, something, I suppose, when you talk about ambient, it's very hard to kind of, unless you've been listening to a lot of it, differentiate and kind of understand all the differences. I suppose yeah. if I was to couch it like this, Andrew's work is so much more hi-fi than a lot of ambient music out there. Um he is quite a master of his workflow and he's actually got a video online where you can hear, uh, watch the way he uses his iPad to actually um, run all of these different sources of input. Like he'll use an Octatrack or he'll use some uh, Norns. He'd use all these like beautiful piano samples and, you know, whether his bass or something else. And he's running all these inputs and kind of working to create these textures and improvised soundscapes. But they're not by any means like very boring. Um, he'll bring in like glitchy drum beats, a very like a bit a la um, post-rock feel in my mind, like some of the quieter This Will Destroy You or quieter parts of Sleep's Ma uh, Sleep Makes Waves kind of thing. Um but it's very subtle under the surface sort of um, percussive stuff. And so he's sequencing that with the Octatrack and then he's, you know, bringing in these beautiful piano samples via Ableton and something like that. 
And so music for non-existent films is a bit of a combo between these like lush soundscapes and then kind of like four on the floor sort of almost dancey feeling beats with Mm. these Mm. piano parts on top. And I've really, you know, fallen in love with his music just because it's just so beautiful to kind of have on. And sometimes it's hard to work out which album I'm listening to and which track I'm on because I'm just kind of, I, I have his whole discography now. Um, and actually I'll mention just about that in a moment. And so I'll be listening to release after release and just enjoying these beautiful soundscapes. But I wanted to highlight um, music for non-existent films just because it's, it's a nice combo of both of those really soundscapes and then sort of um, percussive pieces. And he's aimed to kind of write these pieces around photographs of Philadelphia. And I think with the idea of like, if this was a film, what would this sound like? which is perfect for me because I often prefer the soundtrack to the film anyway. So (laughs) great. (laughs) I don't have to watch anything. Um, But yeah, so actually just about his discography, just this year he started um, a studio diary. So he's like putting out little updates each day. He started a Bandcamp subscription where you pay $3 a month minimum and you get his discography and then every time he's releasing something, that gets added to your collection as a way of kind of continually making and creating. Um, He has a huge output. He's always making things. And just this month, since I've become a subscriber, he's released two little EPs. Um, And one of them I wanted to talk about, but you can't hear it because it's sub only. Sorry. (laughs) Um. Yeah. Um, But I highly recommend checking out his his subscription and kind of his discography because it's it's incredibly beautiful music and reminds me of stuff like Floex, which is um, Thomas Dvorak. He's a, a game soundtrack writer for games like Summerist 3 and Machinarium and all that sort of thing. Um, and if you don't know those artists, I'll chuck a few of his work on the playlist. Yeah. Anyway, so that's a little bit of a deep dive into ambient music, but I've been really loving his work. Um, and there are many releases of his that I really appreciate, but I thought I'd focus on this. Um, did you get to have a listen? Yeah, I went through this um, music for non-existent films. I I, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like it's worth mentioning that it's also an improvised piece or pieces. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that kind of impressed me because usually when you see the words improvised on a piece of music, you're like, oh, here we go. You know, it's going to be like 16 minutes of noodling and like kind of not structured well enough. <laughs> um, but actually, these are quite well structured pieces and they're all about like five to three minutes each. Like they, mm. um, it doesn't, this doesn't sound like a compliment, but he knows when to finish a song um, mm-hmm. when it comes that to like impro- improvising something. Um, and so they're, um, these pieces aren't like these large, you know, truncheons of ambient music, but actually are quite uh, well-devised snippets and songs that are put together well. So I actually quite appreciated that about the the piece itself. Mm. Um, I do find the idea of... Um, he wrote something like uh, making ambient media uh, more visual. Uh, I, found, I find that kind of difficult um, for myself, at least, especially when... These are like based on specific photos of Philadelphia. Um, Mm. And he's like, interpret them your own way visually. And I'm kind of like, well, I like the notes. 
it's a bit of a disconnect for me because like well no it's visually it's that photo of philadelphia if it's going to be anything um and mm. I, that, could, that could be a me problem i i i don't know uh, no that's fair i don't know what philadelphia looks like but i can yeah, picture things based on the album art um but that's just one photo you know what? i was talking about this with a few people recently i'm much more able to get into media when it's just audio i find Mm. it i mean maybe it's just my time of life and you know being able to listen more than i can watch i really appreciate letting the work be done in my own head um but you're right in when we talked about god speed you you also liked um you wanted some sort of thing to hang it on as well, like the visuals yeah. which they have in their concerts. So, yeah. no, that's totally fair. And you're not alone. A lot of people feel like that. So, <laughs> yeah, that's very fair. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. The the interpretive nature of music is in an interesting place in a postmodern world because, you know, your your classical period is all very obvious about, I think we've talked about this before, what, what the music is written, you know, Vivaldi is like, oh, this is the season of spring. Here's what spring mm. sounds like in my musical form. You're like, oh, okay, mm. I can get that. Um, whereas mm. like in modern ambient non-vocal pieces are a little bit harder to tack down because they want the listener to kind of integrate some of their experience into that. And that's obviously different for different people. And I don't know, I, f- I find that a bit difficult. But I, I that being said, the... Um, this this piece um these pieces were quite beautiful and i i could tell actually like the the quality of the samples were quite um astounding to begin with as well i actually appreciate that as a yeah and um i was asking him about what samples he uses whether he records them himself and he said he uses uh one of the native instrument packs for the piano but also he mm-hmm. shared with the this company called felt and they've got this gorgeous one. I think I sent it to you. The, Yay. Um, that, that did yeah. sound lovely. Yeah. And so I'm very tempted by, uh, by that because <laughs> there's nothing quite like a beautifully subtle piano recorded well. And mm. like every now and then there's a piano around and I'm able to record it, but it's very, it takes a lot of time um, and it's very nice having something so beautiful and live sounding as a VST. So... I'll put the link in the show notes if there are other people out there who dig that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Sweet. Let's uh, move on to homework. So oh, baby. Um, I gave Josh um, an album called Lateralis by Tool, who are a kind of like new metal band. Is that <laughs> the best description of them? Um, this album's from 2001, and it is probably still their most popular album. Um, it has some of their biggest songs on it, and it kind of solidified them as a very big act around the early thousands after their previous two albums, which were very well received. Um, I can't say I'm like a massive Tool fan of all of their albums. Um, this was a particular... M- album that came at a particular time and I just really gelled with it. I think being a bass player, I really appreciated a lot of the intricate lines in this and but it's also not metal which is like um lots of guitar solos and stuff. So I think it's a little bit more subtle 
which is why I've enjoyed it. But I thought, I think I better chat about this with Josh just because <laughs> it's influential, it's interesting, and I know you haven't really got into them as much and I thought I'd subject you to something like this. You know. So what did you think of Lateralis? Uh, yes. I mean, you're right that this is a very um, famous album. I've heard of this record before and um, mm. obviously the song Schism, if you've ever played bass, that song like makes an appearance at some point in a, in a bass playing career. <laughs> Um, yes it's true yeah i um yeah i don't i mean it's hard to pin down because metal is Mm. such a a a huge genre obviously um Mm. it's hard to pin down exactly what is different about tool to other bands of the contemporary time but there's a certain level of uh artistic uh uh skill and excellence in their in their mm. music that's not a, a necessarily a standard for metal at the time at least um and so you kind of get the impression as you listen to this album these songs are very very carefully crafted and executed um especially when it comes to the rhythm section and the drums my yes. goodness um, yeah danny carey i think is his name yeah, and he looks like a very normal dude, which is why I kind of like him as well. Um, he like normal drummers, like idols and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's just like a, he's just like a dude with like kind of long hair. He's not like a weird, you know, metal skinhead. Even um, um, Viagra Boy's drummer looked pretty standard, like, <laughs> and uh, compared to the other guys in the band. Oh no, the sac- there were a few other normal. It was just a really interesting mix. Anyway, sorry, sidetrack. No, that's right. Um, so I, I, I feel like I. I don't know, I'll get out of the gate. I'm not a huge fan mm. of metal music and I'm not a huge fan of um tool, to be honest. I like it's mm-hmm. um it's not bad. It's just kind of okay. Like I don't get necessarily what the legendary status is about, is kind of how I would put it. Um like I get like, you know, there's loads of technicality, there's loads of your polyrhythms, but you know, I've heard those before and maybe done in more mm-hmm. fun ways and you know jazz and that kind of stuff um it's not bad like there's plenty of other metal bands at this time that i would consider bad um it's definitely not like that um and it's kind of it's more like you get the sense of what's enjoyable for me is the songs that kind of break out of the pattern of uh the album they have these like heavy heavy you know, drum songs that are just kind of pounding and like they go for like eight minutes. And Dixon then you get the leeches. ones that, yeah, you get the ones that like kind of break that pattern, like Schism breaks it a bit, um, Par- Parabola, and then what's the one, uh, Disposition? Like this kind of like, yeah, the a little bass bit, little, solo. Little, a little bit quiet, like, yeah, the bass solo, a little more melodic in um, their kind of uh, the composition. Um, mm. And so those ones that really stand out because they're so different and they're, I don't know, they're not so heavy handed and I don't know. I feel like I'm being contradictory because, you know, I do love no, no, no. drums and that kind of stuff, but I, it's, um, it like, it doesn't feel punchy or fun. It feels just kind of flat and hammering, um, mm. which is, uh, maybe it's not unfair. very live. The production is not particularly, um, yeah. in the room kind of thing there are lots of layers of different things even the drums for instance you'll hear 
djembe on top of it or like some sort of Middle Eastern drum or something in like, and that's sh- shrouding the kit. And so yeah. Ticks and Leeches is actually a song where Danny Carey really lets loose. Um, and some of the others, you know, like the heavier bits of Parabola or The Grudge or something like that have more <laughs> distinct classic metal drums. But you are right, right at the top of your kind of thing you were saying was they prioritise art like and vision a lot more mm. than kind of them being bangers, I suppose. Yeah. And that's it. I suppose that's a little bit different because, you know, I don't know who was else making music around this time, but I was listening to Metallica around the same time <laughs> who were trying to like just really get crowds excited and make these like really rocking songs. I mean, they did have the, the Unforgiven series, which were much quieter and more reflective, but Tool were kind of doing, like I said at the top of the show, interesting samples and strange other um, ethnic sounds in there and and yeah. kind of art tracks like Eon Blue Apocalypse. <coughs> and then right at the end, the Philippe Dioad sort of um, voice recording of a guy talking about Area 51 and, you know, it's... And then you've got the 11-minute reflection piece, which I usually skip. I find it a little bit repetitive. Um, Yeah, but it is much more artistic than, say, like a really heavy, we want to show off our chops. They are showing Uh, off their chops, but it's clever chops. We we haven't even really talked about the math, like the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like revolving time signatures based around the Fibonacci sequence and the golden ratio and... yeah. Um, like this is kind of this thread through the album about like enlightenment and reaching a new state of being and how like the kind yeah. of the math and the songs go together to kind of like try and help that process. Um, and um, muscle but, too, because the, something, yeah. the lateral muscle and hence the cover and that sort of thing, I think is a theme as well. Yeah. So I, like I can see, like, I feel like I can see, like, what goes into it. And I can see that, like, you know, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in the making of something like this. And it's very creative. Mm. Um, but it, it just doesn't, like... Like, if someone asked me, like, is this one of the greatest albums of all time? I wouldn't say yes. Mm. Um, much. To I really think it's the time in which you listen to it as well. If I yeah, had maybe. heard this album now... I've heard, like you say, other stuff similar to it, which I probably enjoy more. But, you know, when I got this album in, you know, high school, I was like, this is amazing. I've not heard anything like this before. This is (laughs) brand new for me. And so it stayed in my mind as a standout, even though there are probably things since which have done a better job. Like as I listen back to it, I go, oh, yeah, some of these really hold up. Like even songs like The Patient. I really enjoyed because of the interesting bass lines and the way they'd put the melody in the bass sometimes. And Mm. the guitar wasn't always the forefront. It was in the back and it was providing different parts or it was subtle. And yeah. And interestingly, their guitarist directed all their film clips, which are as weird as anything. So they, they are kind of uh, really interesting. They have, yeah. I don't love everything they do. Um, I haven't listened to tons of their other stuff, um, but this just kind of stayed with me throughout the years and has mm. been on the list of like, oh, I'd love to chat about this with you sometime, knowing that you're not a huge metal fan. Yeah. And I, I know it's like, um, again, not to try to disparage Tool. No. I know like they have one of those fine. reputations and 
um, I I thought it was hilarious when they released one of their their newest album in like 2021, mm-hmm. and like uh, their lead single was like a 13 minute song, and it got to like the top Billboard, and it was like all these like you know pop hits that are like two and a half minutes, and you know DJ Khaled and that kind of stuff, and it's just like Tool, and it's 13 yeah. minutes, you know, like that like uh, Bravo, that that that's great, like more of that, sure. I don't well, want to say I, want to I remember to when <laughs> I remember when Parabola. And Parable were on Rage, and you'd have oh. this like nine to ten minute piece just in the middle <laughs> yeah. of there, with this weird ass video clip like in the middle of I don't know what was on Backstreet Boys or something like that, and it just <laughs> they've they've managed to kind of keep writing strong stuff even if there's like a ten year gap between their albums or something. Yeah, yeah, and they're definitely clever people. So hats off to them and their creativity. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I'm glad you, like, there were some things you found interesting. Um, I understand that it's not your thing, but thanks for chatting about it with me. I appreciate that. Always time to give it a try. Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't you tell people what you gave me Uh, for homework? (coughs) So, Asher has been asking to review this album for a little while now, and I have been resisting because I am weak. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this uh this record is a favorite of mine um and i know that it is not perfect but i hate to you know hear critiques uh so uh um i i have given asher the second album by the band gorillas called demon days um mm-hmm. after teaming up with a new producer uh called danger mouse to turn into a great pairing um of both some of their most approachable mega hits like feel good ink um and some of mm-hmm. their kind of weirder edges are both on the same album um but i think that this is kind of like a a great little timepiece of like the early 2000s with like post apocalyptic themes of how like society mm-hmm. is going to go and these like really um non mainstream for the time uh, pairings of musicians with the gorillas like these features aren't like the first people you would think of at the top of your head in 2005 hmm. um and so i think it comes together for a really interesting record um aside from all the other stuff that goes on so tell me Asher, what did you think about demon days yeah i mean so you were right last night to kind of we were chatting and you said check out their live show at yeah something i can't remember and so i watched a bunch of songs of this of live and they basically did the whole album bar dirty harry which i'm sad about because dirty harry has like one of my favorite lead lines by then yeah anyway um but that was really interesting to watch it was different than plastic beach in the whole hiding behind the silhouette sort of thing Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. you know i remember when gorillas first came out like you know you had no idea who was behind it when you're a teenager? Well, I was. I was just like, cool. Like, <laughs> you know, cartoon characters. I'm not sure who's making this music, but it's cool. And then Demon Days and live stuff, they're like, we're still a little bit secretive. We're going to be in the background. Like, you only ever see Damon just as a silhouette, which is very effective. Um, but then other people are brought into the limelight, like some you know, these female singers he brought in and all the string group and all this sort of yeah. thing, um, yeah. which was fantastic. I realised after that, I think the key to 
appreciating gorillas is seeing them live. Um, because sometimes when you listen to their album, it's such a smattering of different things. Like it's, <laughs> it changes so constantly. It's really, really hard to nail down. And I think I've said this before. I've just never really known what gorillas are. Like there are so many flavors in this pot. I'm not quite sure what, what is what and what to start with. But yeah. seeing them live, you go, you can see them move from section to section and go, right, okay, there is a lot of intentionality here. And it was cool seeing the the visuals for intro because at first you listen to it, it's like police sirens and stuff, but they've got like old footage of wars and terrible things happening. And it's got this real tone of like sadness right at the beginning. Um, now, I'm guilty of really liking opening tracks um, probably because I hear them so much, but Last Living Souls is awesome. Like, oh, yeah, no, it's that, a favorite of mine too. Absolutely, that beat is a study in groove. Like, it's so solid. Um, it's just like when um, that full-on beat comes in. It's just like I need to study that sequence because that's how you get like something brilliantly tight and funky. And mm. um, yeah, so Last Living Souls is awesome. Also inspiring of like how simple a song can be, like a repetitive word with a repetitive bass line with layering in interesting ways and a changing melody. I just, yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, and so as you go through it, you're right in that like the first half is much more palatable and then the second half is a little bit trickier. <laughs> um, I found the ending quite easy to kind of grasp. I loved fire coming out of the monkey's head. Um, who's the narrator? He's pretty cool. Such an interesting piece. Uh, that's a, a, a actor by the name of Dennis Hopper. Um, yeah. You may know him as the guy who played Bowser in the Mario Brothers movie. Oh, okay, cool. Nice. <laughs> back, way back in the day. Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't know that, but I, I watched a bit of that documentary, Bananas, just like little smattering of it, and I could yeah. see him narrating it and it was it was cool. But those three tracks, the kind of ending of the album, are very neat. Like I like the story, the narration, mm. Damon's like little choruses in it and that sort of thing. Um, but I don't think that I like the back half as much as the first. Like Dare is cool but a bit repetitive for me. Like it's similar to um, what's the one with Bruce Willis driving as well? Oh, um, Stylo? Yeah, I found Stylo similar to this song. Interesting. Kind of a bit too repetitive for me. But my favourite's kind of like a Dirty Harry. Like I love the children's choir. Like that synth line the where it plays the melody which he's been singing is like perfect. I just want to know how to get that sound, like the LFOs or whatever's going on there. Just brilliant. Um, uh, uh, Kids With Guns is great too. Like an Oh Green World, Can't Fault It. Um Feel Good Inc., of course, is pretty great, but, like, I've heard that a lot. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I just felt like I struggled with some of the others, like November Has Come. Like, they're really good in the context, but I feel like I, I need to keep watching this live clip to really grasp how those those songs work and yeah. just kind of understand them. But you're right to give me, you were right to give me Plastic Beach first. I'm not sure why it is I like that one more than this one, or at least <laughs> like more songs. But um, it's pretty amazing stuff. It, it's just still too big for me to grasp, like all yeah. the different genres 
singers, changes and stuff like that. I think uh, I think this album, Demon Days, is kind of one of those pieces that are like, you, you have to trust uh, the band to like lead you along these different choices that they make. You're like, oh, I don't know. I would, don't know if I would necessarily see that coming, but if they're bringing me along that path, like I want to see where it goes kind of thing. Girl is kind of one of those bands for me where like, yeah. well, I'm not sure, you know, but like I, I didn't know, you know, who MF Doom was at the time, but this rap's really interesting or that kind of thing. Mm. Um yeah. So tell me about what it is about this album which really stands out to you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the time, this came out when we were like grade nine or 10. This is a while ago for us now. Um, mm. And I, uh, this album does a couple of things very differently from the first Gorillaz record, which is there's a lot of investment by the team into making this album feel uh at the time like it was backed by real people like the the cartoons were like doing a real job like they would go on radio interviews and it'd be damon and the voice actor for murdoch and they'd like do interviews together or um you can buy i have a, i have a book like i have a i have a demon days book and it's like 300 mm. pages and it's like the band talking about the fake recording process of this album <laughs> and and the first one too. And you're like, they're putting so much work into making it feel like when you listen to this album and you go through the intro, which is a sample from um, Dawn of the Dead, by the way, um, it's, okay. uh, it like pulls you in and you're like, okay, I'm now participating in like a, uh, like a, a record that's like both my reality, but both not at the same time. It's like this yeah. weird car- cartoon world where like m- monkey people exist. And um, I think at the time when I listened to that, I didn't quite get it at first. I enjoyed mm. like the big songs, you know, you're, you're dirty Harry and you feel good ink and that kind of stuff. And then as I got older, I started to love the expansive nature of what happens here and the differences and, you know, how like mm. so few records from 2005 have a spoken word piece from a, from a retired actor as well as like, mm. uh, you know, uh, uh, Ike, Ike Turner playing a piano solo and you're like, you know, all these kind of things are so strange when you put them together. Um, but they don't fight against each other. And that's kind of where it gets me. I think. Yeah, um, like I don't think I've got that yet because yeah. the lyrics are still a little bit hazy for me. But yeah. um, that sounds very interesting. I like and I, and I think when you, like I I have the the B side the, or they're called the D sides technically um, mm. of all these like cutting room floor songs and one or two of them are really good. But you can definitely tell where um when when Damon has like a more creative work partner that like songs can go from like, Oh, here's like a beat and a little kind of melodic snippet to hear something a little like more nebulous and a bit different. And he kind of favors those more different things um, on a record together, which is kind of Mm. um, what I enjoy about it. So yeah. Like, I guess uh, as a teenager, I was coming out of like ska bands and you know, 
Hmm. Sky music can both be super repetitive, but also like super um, actually quite different from its its own self. If it, people, you know, take that time and listening to an album and having like 17 different genres on it wasn't particularly yeah. outrageous to me. But to have a band <laughs> like do it well, um, I quite appreciate it. Um, yeah. And I should say, I think also it helps to understand um, Gorillaz as a musical project for Damon Albarn is kind of him living out his childhood dreams in a lot of ways. Um, he, he'll often make songs that are very referential to like the English music scene in like the 1980s. So you have like mm. um, uh, Last Living Souls, which is essentially a reggae song, like a like a it's a reggae mm. backbeat from the early 1980s. And you're like, oh, it's modernized. Um, yeah. Or you have Dare, which is like something you'd hear in a Manchester nightclub, you know, this weird like electronic Manchester piece. Um, mm. And he'll like go and find people from that era to like feature on the record and kind of make mm. these pieces. So I think if you like you kind of keep that very heavily British influence there. It's sometimes a little bit easier to pick out why he kind of goes through all these different phases. It's not that they're unconnected. It's more that they're kind of connected in like his history as a, as a, as a British kid, you know? Yeah. Um, it's so funny because they don't feel very British. No. Like at times with his accent and that sort of thing, you get it. But like, he's really pushed himself genre-wise to kind of take on as much as possible. And I think like what you're saying about the whole concept of this album as well, I think the thing that's overwhelming about Gorillaz is there's just so much content. Like there's yes. the art, there's like the puppets at the start of the live show, you know, talking about this being amateur hour, you know, there's <laughs> these interviews, there's fake stuff, there's documentaries, there's the songs themselves and it's just like it's mind-blowing how much kind of content has been made around each album. Like so what I compare it to, you know, when you think about Arcade Fire's um, The Suburbs, right? Yeah. That's like an alternate reality similar to ours, talking about issues in our world but in a different timeline sort of thing. Um, concept album, video, you know, a movie made about it and that sort of thing, a little bit of the depth you know there's a there's depth there but demon dave's just as fathoms deeper in that concept like because it's it's fantastic as well like it's yeah. you know floating islands in the sky i mean there's there was so much stuff like you like there was you're floating on they, like a, a whole website you could like sign up for i remember like as a teenager spending time on like the gorilla's website and you could like find hidden clips or you know um, take part in like group events and timers and that kind of stuff. Like it was all kinds of nonsense. Yeah. I, I guess it's kind of the first time, you know, when you invest in a, in a fictional band and mm. like, there's actually like stuff to see, like, you know, like there's only so much Beatles history you can read cause they're real people and they're, you know, doing real mm. things. And, but you know, this is a, a bunch of f- fake cartoons and you can make as much history as you like. And, Mm-hmm. that's kind of uh the depth of how it will go but yeah i'm i'm glad you enjoyed it the second half is definitely uh more eclectic i'll, I'll give you that mm. <laughs> it's still really good to hear though like it's just good good listening 
So, yeah, I have no qualms with it. And any yeah. more exposure to rap is good for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get you to be yeah. a fan one day, Asher. Yeah. So how is that? Is your heart broken or is it fine? No, my heart is not broken. Okay, my, good. My, <laughs> my records and CDs are safe. I'll say that much. <laughs> uh, That's good. Thanks, man. Yeah. Honorable mention time? Yes, let's do it. Um. So first off the bat, Kimbra has a new album. Uh, she dropped it like yesterday or the day before. Um. Okay. But I had been listening to a couple of the singles, Replay and Save Me. I think it were already out. Um, so I'm not through it all yet, but like maybe I'm biased, but the production is great, you know. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan Lott doing a good job. <laughs> That's um, right. <laughs> but it's really interesting combining Ryan Lott's, um, you know, production skills with Kimber's writing and choruses. Like it's a very different beast than like Sunlux. You yeah. Know? Kimber is much more in the pop sphere and like her melodies are very catchy and, you know, female voice and that sort of thing. I quite like the lead single, Save Me. It's very beautifully done, very mm. different than kind of like her really bubbly sort of sound on Vows. You know, um, what was the one? Cameo Lover, which was really dancey. This is much more dark and brooding and stuff. So it's, it's okay. cool. Yeah, sure. Anyway, just yeah, check it out. It's quite nice. Um, now, big, big news, The National. Okay. Uh. So um, this kind of hijacked me for a week um, because, I don't know, I was thinking about them and I listened through your best of playlist of those two albums and then I started listening to all of um, Trouble Will Find Me and then listened to a bit of Boxer then then this new single came out and I think I've heard it. Yes, I've heard it. <laughs> like I don't want to listen to too much because I'm just kind of like conscious of getting the whole picture. Um, so I know you're a little mixed on some of the cameos. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm kind of excited. What are you feeling? You want to talk I'm, about I'm, it? I'm glad you are. I didn't even put this down as an honorable mention. I... <laughs> All the bands that you got me into, you're like, nah, not anymore. <laughs> I mean, if they if National made interesting music, I'd be interested. Oof. You know. Yeah. I mean, Trouble, I'm sorry, um, what's the latest, the 2019 I'm, one? I'm Easy to Find. Yeah, you like some of the tracks on that. I still like, get Rylan like in my head and stuff. Some of the tracks are good, yeah. The ones that yeah. have drums in them, are, they're good. Yeah, I know. It's the big clincher for you. Drums, drums. <laughs> that's fine. If if you don't have Brian Devendorf playing in your song, I don't want to hear it, National. Fair enough. Yeah. It's, well, for it's those boring. Josh doesn't want to talk about it. I'll tell you briefly, listeners. The National have their album coming out May, I think. I don't know what yeah. it is. And... And it's got some it's got some features like Phoebe Bridges and Sufjan Stevens and um, Taylor Swift, all the people and, that Josh loves. And Bonnie Ver. Um, yeah, and Bonnie Ver. Yeah. So I mean, but what's the difference between Bonnie Ver and Sufjan being on High Violet and this? Like, is it just more of a feature? More of a feature, which means it's not going to be as good. <laughs> Well, okay, <laughs> listeners, I have 
higher hopes than Joshua. I don't know what they're founded on, except that I just enjoy the national. Me, just an average fool enjoyer. Joshua, the, you know, wise enjoyer. Keep an ear out. Anyway, we'll leave that where it is. And my last honourable mention is very simple. Um, I've been playing Unpacking like a year late and I like the soundtrack for it. So (laughs) if you like really meditative games where you unpack boxes of possessions and listen to cute guitar um, and synthesiser kind of chip-tune stuff, check it out. I'll put a link in. That's it. What have you been listening to as your honourable mentions? Yes. um, Strangely, uh, surprisingly, no one. I've been going back through... Um, other Radiohead associated bands. So I've been listening to uh, Ed O'Brien's solo record, mm-hmm. um, which came out in like 2018. Um, yeah, I'm actually i I enjoy it quite a bit, and it's it's not it's pretty inoffensive, which is whatever. Um, but in terms of side projects of Radiohead band members, it's probably my favorite, and. Hmm. Um, it has one or two tracks in it, which I think are actually quite great. And so, props to Ed. He's a he's a lovely guy, and I hope he has more success um, on his own projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of ties in with. I didn't quite believe this one had happened because I'd actually seen this release before, but Johnny Greenwood on Twitter um, posted a link to a super mario 64 <laughs> yes um what do you what would you call it like it's just a cover um, album but it's the it's, sound sources is completely from sound the sources. so it's it's the it's the entirety of in rainbows using yeah. only sound sources from mario 64 um and it's good which is nah. surprising i mean it's not terrible and some there's some great. interesting design choices. I I find it eternally fascinating that it works more than it should. Is what I'll say. Videotape with the underwater synth sounds is a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's fun. It's fun that people do this kind of thing. And it's also weird that John Greenwood saw it of all people too. Um, yeah, I wonder how he stumbled upon it. He's a he's a strange lad. Um, <laughs> So I think, I don't know, it's kind of out there now, part of the Radiohead mythos. Um, mm-hmm. Then um, I've been listening to a album by a band called Ringo Death Star. Um, <laughs> they're uh, like, a, like a shoegaze outfit that put out an album a couple of years ago. Um, and I've just kind of been going back through shoegaze releases that I've been denying myself. And this is uh, actually really good. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have been avoiding it for so long, but I've been really, really loving um, the Ringo Death Star album. Um, and then last but not least is a record from the Devin LaVar organ trio, um, which okay. is kind of like a, like a funk soul um, uh, band of three guys. And uh, I don't know. I've, I've been putting this on when I've been working around around the house, and um, it's just kind of like real groovy, real mm. jammy, just smooth. And they have a great cover of "Careless Whisper." Um, <laughs> yeah, like you don't believe me until you hear it. You're like, "Oh wait, this is like better than the original song," which is not a huge claim to fame. Yeah, but, it's not gonna um, be hard. <laughs> it's really good. I'm so I'm 
I don't know. Like I guess I was in the mood for like some sweet organ, and this is like filling that filling that gap. Um, nice. So that that's me. Yeah. Sweet. Hey, just on shoegaze, do you think this will be the year that Slow Dive released their next record? I think it's a possibility. Um, I was actually gonna. I wasn't going to talk about this because I was going to review it next week, but there actually is a big mover and shaker in the shoegaze uh, mm. music community at the moment, which is a Korean guy named Paranul, who we actually talked about like two years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've, I've been genuinely surprised that he's he has been very openly accepted by like the indie music community. People love his like shoegaze stuff. He just released a new record yesterday and people have been talking about it on different forums that i go Paranu. to i'll check it so out I, I was gonna review it next time so i was kind of saving that um, nice but i do think i think i think slow dive are getting their act together cross yeah i was hoping that they would be out last year but maybe they're just finishing it off or something like that so well you know mm. slow dive very famously shoegaze slow takes dive. the time that it wants and 20 slow dive years do the same. <laughs> yeah so <laughs> Yeah, Don't hold hopefully it's not 20 years till the next shoot, uh, Slow Guy album, but there we go. <laughs> um, well, that has been episode 57 of what we're listening to. Thank you mm-hmm. very much for listening once again. Um, we love doing this and love sharing music with each other and with new people. So if mm-hmm. you would like, we have a website, we have social media where you can reach out to us and maybe say, hey, listen to this. We don't think you've talked about it before. Um, mm-hmm. We also have the playlist for each episode, so you can listen to what we're actually talking about. You know, the music copyright laws being what they are, we can't put them in the episode, but we can put them somewhere else for you. <laughs> it would make it a um, very long episode. Hey, make it a very long episode. Nine-minute tool song, and then we'll um, chat about it. <laughs> and if you feel so so generous, you can leave a rating and a review on your podcast app of choice, Spotify, Woo, or yep. uh, iTunes. You know, take your choice and. Um, it helps the algorithm get us up to El- more people. Uzbekistan or whoever was. <laughs> yeah, our fans. Uzbeki fans. <laughs> yeah. We slowly take over the world one Eastern European, European nation at a time. Um, yeah. So that's us. Thanks for listening. See you, Asher. See you, man.